I want to join with Callan and express my appreciation for each person being a part of our assembly today. We have a really good sized crowd with some that are not normally with us, and we want you to know that your presence here is a blessing for us. We also want to thank those that are connected to our service this morning through Zoom. Today is Mother's Day. Since about 1914, our nation has celebrated the second Sunday in May to honor our mothers. Even though Mother's Day is in no way a religious holiday, it certainly teaches in His Word that we're to honor our parents, and specifically our moms. In Ephesians 6 verse 2, the Bible says, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with promise. Our moms are valuable, they're vital for so many different reasons. God placed a role in the home for wives and mothers, and we are so thankful that we have God-fearing women that fill these roles. We should honor them, we should esteem them, not just once a year, but through the year. Thank you so much to all of our, our good mothers of the congregation. If you have any questions about the things that we present this morning, or you see things that we do in our assembly that you're not familiar with, maybe you haven't been here before, please honor us by asking questions about the things that we do here as we come together to worship God. We would be happy to sit down with an open Bible and seek to read from God's Word and answer whatever questions that you might have. Our subject this morning is the house that Christ built. We want to look at this subject from a couple of different perspectives. Number one, we want to think about what is the house of God. Number two, we want to notice some confusion that we see in a lot of people's mind regarding this entity. We want to notice some church history, a summary of, of some of that. Our goal there is to see how we come to this place in our religious environment today. We want to note that the New Testament blueprint remedies confusion. All of us have been involved in some type of construction, some building of some, cho- of some uh, sort, whether that be a, a chicken house or a barn or a, a house or an office building. In 2007, we built this building. And many of you were here and you saw the process of the building being constructed. And we know the more complicated that any project gets, the better set of plans we need to make sure that we get that project correct. Architects study so that they're equipped to draw sets of drawings so that we have plans so that we can build according to those plans. So we can start without any foundation, any building, anything, and we can follow those plans and we end up with the proper finished project. And so we want to look at that concept with regard to the structure that Christ built that we have uh, discussed in the scriptures so what is the house 
The house is the church that Christ built. We read in 1 Timothy 3, verse 15, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. I appreciate Craig leading that last song, I love thy kingdom, Lord. We know there are several words that are used in Scripture to refer to the church. But very specifically, the Bible defines what God's house is, and that is the church. Christ is God. He came to this earth. He brought truth. He brought the plans for this institution. He said, I will build my church. That church has been built. It's in existence today. And I will maintain through our study this morning that we have the blueprint. That we have a specific, detailed record of how we are to build this house. This most important house that we could ever consider. Here are some other terms. What is the house? We just noticed it is the church. It is also referred to as the body, and it is also referred to as the kingdom. When Timothy preached during our gospel meeting back in March, he had a lesson called the Pearl of Great Price. And he talked about the kingdom, the church, the house of God. And he talked about that all spiritual blessings are found in the church. Our spiritual blessings are the greatest blessings that we will ever experience. And we need to understand that those spiritual blessings are found in this house that Christ built. Some people tell me today, I want Christ, but I don't want the church. I want Christ, but I don't want religion. The reality is, if we accept Christ and we obey His commandments, then He puts us in His church. It's one and the same thing. If we want Christ, if we want salvation, then we are placed in this institution of the church. This house that He's built for us. We can't have these things pulled apart and follow what we find in God's Word. The church, the word church, comes from a Greek word, ekklesia. Ek meaning out from, klesis meaning a calling. So the literal meaning of church is called out from. And it's translated in our English Bibles, assembly, congregation, and church. And oftentimes these terms of house and kingdom are used as well. And the term of body is used to describe how this body or how this house of God functions. To put it In my words, the people who make up the blood-bought body of Christ are the church. We use the word church in a lot of different ways. I got in my car this morning and I said, let's go to church. I was using that word to describe the building. Sometimes I hear people say, you know what, I'm going to go over here to this particular spot and I'm going to join the church. And in their mind, it's the social system of whatever particular denomination that is, and they are being added to that by men, the men, the heads of that that congregation. Other people use it, and they think of the authority of the church as being some type of hierarchy or organization that rules according to what is to be done in that particular 
environment. We need to be sure that we understand the scriptural definition of this word so that we understand how to look into God's Word and properly see the house that Christ built and to see how that we're to interact with it. Notice this passage, Ephesians 2, 19 and 20. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. Now there's actually two different analogies that are connected to the house of God. In one way, it's used to indicate the family of God. The house of Van Miller is my three daughters and my son-in-laws and my grandkids. And in some ways and in some instances, it's used in that way in Scripture. The house of God is the family of God. And we see that here in the first part of this passage. But also it is used in an analogy as of a building, just like we're talking this morning. A house that's going to be built. A spiritual temple in which we are to be put together, fitly framed together. We see these words portrayed here also. Both analogies are used in this passage to talk about the house of God and how we need to look at that and how that helps us better understand this institution that is of so much prominence in God's Word, that carries so much priority and is lifted above every other thing that we have recorded. You know, God formulated a redemptive plan before this earth was created, and it was an eternal plan. And the Bible tells us that in that eternal plan is exhibited the manifold wisdom of God. That's in the very next chapter of Ephesians 3. And it is so important that we understand how that God uses the church and how elevated it is in the Scripture so that we elevate it in our mind and we treasure it and we count it a blessing that we are understanding this the people of God that form the church, and we have opportunity to be a part of it. 1 Peter 2, verse 5, Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God by Jesus Christ, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Again, we are lively stones as members of the body of Christ, we fit together as these stones that make up this spiritual temple that we just read about in Ephesians chapter 2. This is the image that I want you to think about in your mind of building that structure and how we're going to properly build it. I was thinking about how many assemblies of the church that I might have been in in my lifetime. I'm of 64 I was converted into the church at age 13. I know I attended before then. But after that, attending a couple of times a week on average for my life, I've probably been in over 5,000 assemblies of the church. 
There's some people here in their 80s and even 90s that maybe have been in seven or 8,000 church assemblies. And when we talk about this stuff, we tend to kind of glaze over because we've often heard a lot of these passages. We've heard the admonition of, about how important the church is. But I want to tell you this morning, we have an individual that's with us in our assembly. This is the first time that he's ever been in a Church of Christ assembly. We need to be teaching these concepts for everyone. We have children that are just growing to an age where they can understand these doctrinal issues. We need to be teaching about Christian living. We need to be teaching about our families. But we also need to be teaching doctrine because we need a balance of all of these things so that we can make informed decisions about how we're going to react to God in a religious way. To me, that's what doctrine means in its specific context. Doctrine really means any teaching. But when I say doctrine, I'm talking about what God has commanded us to do religiously. It's important that we know this. It's in God's Word, and we need to be reminded, even if we have been in 8,000 assemblies of the church. You know, the Apostle Peter in his epistle said, I'm going to tell you something that I know you already know. But I'm going to tell it to you because you need to be reminded. So let's pay attention as we look at this house that Christ built, and let's look at the characteristics of this house, and let's magnify this house in our mind, in our singing, and in our prayers, as we have already done this morning, as Gary prayed for the church, that it was a great blessing, and he prayed for the church wherever it was. He was praying for the people that make up this blood-bought body of Jesus Christ. Let's don't forget how important the church is. Here's a floor plan for the building that you're sitting in, sitting in this morning. As I said, we built this building in 2007, and we had some plans drawn up. We hired a contractor, and these plans were put in front of him, and we told him, we want you to build the church so that when we get done, it will match these plans. And he did that for the most part. There may have been a few details. Those of us that have been involved with building projects know that there's changes along the way at times. When it comes to the house that Jesus built, He put the plan in place and He built it. And He built it perfectly, down to every detail, the way that He wanted it to be built. And that is a an indication or a demonstration of the manifold wisdom of God. Why would we want to change the pattern that Christ has given to us? And yet that's what we see happening so much around us. Again, how important is this house? I alluded to this passage earlier, Ephesians 3, 10 and 11. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you know even the angels in heaven want to look into the church? 
First Peter 1 verse 12 talks about man's salvation and how angels would like to get a look into that. I believe that's the context here. He's talking about those in heavenly places. The angels of heaven are instructed in God's wisdom through the church. The church is His agency to deliver the eternal redemptive plan through Jesus Christ and His blood. And again, His church demonstrates His multifaceted wisdom. Very, very important. Why do we have confusion in religion today? I just got through telling you that Christ built the plan, or He he put the plan together, God and Christ, the Holy Spirit, from eternity, put this plan together. He built it. He built it perfectly. So why do we struggle today to follow that plan? Because we have an enemy. He's He's called the devil. In John 8, verse 44, the Bible says there is no truth in Satan. We are people of free will. And we have the choice to either choose God or choose Satan. They both are putting plans in front of us. They're both building structures. They both want us to come join and be a part. But there's such a huge contrast because God brings all of His blessings to us when, he, when we choose His house. Satan only allures us and then brings suffering into our life. And yet we are still tempted to follow those things. What would a person do that was completely uninformed about the Bible? That had never, never read the Bible, didn't know anything about church? They moved to Plainview and they said, you know what, I want to get God into my life. So I wonder how they'd go about it. If they didn't recognize the Bible as the inspired Word of God, they'd probably start going and visiting different churches. That would be the concept. That's what I do when I make other decisions in my life. I want to look at options. I want to get a couple of bids on this so I can compare and look at it. A lot of people have approached church that same way. And they go and start visiting, and they visit, and they visit, and they visit, and there's no consistency, or very little consistency. People are doing different things. They believe different things. They teach different things. And all of this brings a lot of confusion into the mind of even honest people that want to learn about how to be right with God. There's roughly 50 churches in Plainview that I could count that are advertised. There's probably others meeting in homes. You go to Lubbock or Amarillo within driving distance, there's probably over a thousand different churches within a hundred miles of here. If you go out and try to search worldwide, you're going to find 40,000 different churches worldwide. So do we want to look at all of them for an option and see what's going on with it? That's what brings the confusion. People throw up their hands. They say, I can't figure this out. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to the church that makes me happy. The one that I like the preacher. The one that I like the music. The one that's closest to me. That's the church I'm going to go to. 
Because we all want convenience. Are any of those reasons the reason or the, the proper process to find the house that Christ built? All of these different ideas, practices, thousands and thousands of beliefs, everyone is human beings. We're weak. We could get it wrong. We all have to admit that we, we could get it wrong. We have gotten it wrong. We will get it wrong in the future. So how do we come to a conclusion on, on this? We have to go to the pattern, don't we? If everyone had a clear, consistent view of God's perfect house that's been built in their mind, then they wouldn't have any problem going and selecting where they want to be a part of a congregation. I said that we're all put into Christ's church when we obey the gospel. That's the universal church. And the Bible only speaks of one universal church. It speaks of units within the universal church or local congregations. But these churches were practicing the same thing during the time of the apostles. The apostles went and taught them and corrected them when they were out of bounds so that they could be unified in the things that they were teaching. Satan promotes confusion, Christ's simplicity. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3, one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture because it contrasts what Satan is selling and what God is selling. Paul was talking to a group of Christians that were members of the universal church. They were members of a local congregation. And he said, you know what? I'm afraid about y'all. I fear lest that by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. In some ways, this is a, a daunting book. It's not written like a novel. It's not written for entertainments or entertainment. It's a library written by about 36 different men over a 1,500-year period of time. And it's not the easiest thing to decipher. But I want to declare to you this morning that when it comes to seeing God's path that He wants us to walk, when it comes to how we're going to obey Him to come into the right relationship with Him, what He wants us to do with regard to the house that Christ built, it's in here and it's simple. If we'll take what's in here and tune everything else out that's going on around us, there is simplicity in Christ. Of course there's deep teachings in this book. God wrote it that way. He inspired it so that we could study it our whole life and never master it. But He also wrote it in, with the frame of mind that He wants every person to come to a knowledge of the truth to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And He's given us the simplicity of that in the Scriptures. The problem is we've got all these other voices and all these other traditions and all these other thoughts and all of the things that we stir together when it comes to how we're going to look at the Scriptures that we read. And then we start saying, well, it's a matter of interpretation. 
You interpret it your way, I'll interpret it my way. It's not a matter of interpretation. We go to God's Word and we find the simple plan and we have the ability to either accept it and submit or to reject it. We see that over and over in the Bible as God dealt with mankind. He gave them a plan. He communicated that to them and some accepted it and some rejected it. And it's going on today, and we do not need to be among those that reject this house that Christ has built. So what do I mean about history that's contributed to the confusion? As I visit with people about church and other related matters, probably the most often question, or the, the question that I receive most often is, how come there's so many churches? How many, how, why are there so many good, sincere people in all of these different churches that are doing different things and wearing different names? What brought that about? Why, do, why are we in that condition? And that's an excellent question that we need to look at. And a lot of it lies in the history in the 1988 years that have passed since A.D. 33, when Christ built His church, there's been a lot of things happen. There's been a lot of men that's got involved with the pattern and adjusted it because they wanted it to be something different. And today we have a huge amount of man-made religion. How do we know it's man-made? We can't find it in here. If it's not in here, then it didn't come from the mind of God. It came from somewhere else. And all of these different ideas over nearly 2,000 years has developed in all of this splintering and all of these different ideas that are being practiced in religion today. In 33 AD, we read that the church was following the apostles' doctrine. Acts 2 verse 42 they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. As I said, the apostles had a direct link to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was providing that pattern in their mind perfectly. They were preaching that. They were going and establishing churches in the correct way, and they were correcting them when they stepped out of the correct way. Within about a hundred years... This New Testament was completed. The last and final revelation of Jesus Christ. At that point, the pattern was set. There's been people that have come on many occasions since then and said, well, I received a vision. God came to me and told me to do it different from what the Bible says. Here, take my book. My book takes precedence over this book. You know what Paul said in, in Galatians 1? He said, even if an angel drops down here and preaches another gospel, other than what I have preached to you, let him be accursed. So the, the house, the blueprint, the pattern, has all been set for us. We have to keep taking it back to God's Word. They did that initially. But you know, before very long men began to get involved in these things. 
Remember the warning that Paul gave to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, verse 29? For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Paul said, get ready, it's coming. He didn't say it might happen or it's a possibility. You know, John said the same thing in 1 John 4, 1, Believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. Again, it's a stated fact that these false doctrines were going to be circulating about the church. And Paul said, you need to take heed. You need to be watchful. There's going to be people from the outside trying to come in and change this pattern so that your house is different from the one that Christ built. But not only that, there's going to be people coming up inside the house itself. And they're going to be trying to draw people away from the pattern that's given in God's Word. Here's a passage in Galatians 1, verse 6 and 7. I marvel that you're so soon removed from Him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. That word pervert in this context means change. Change not for the better, but change for the worse. Already before Paul's life ended, before the Bible was completely written and recorded for us, here was people that were being drawn away from the pattern that was being left for them. That trend continued through history. As we look back in secular history, we can read of Nero, who was an emperor in Rome. He persecuted the Christians. For the most part, those Christians stayed true, and they even put their lives at stake to follow the apostles' doctrine, to follow the pattern, to do what the Bible taught. A fellow named Domitian followed Nero, and he persecuted the Christians unmercifully. He was probably even worse than Nero. These Christians were the enemy of the state, and the state went after them with everything they had and tried to destroy Christianity, but they... Again, for the most part, you read that history, they stuck to the Bible patterns. And they resisted those that tried to destroy the church. In 311, we have another emperor that came along, and he was more tolerant than his predecessors. His name was Constantine. At that point, the government began to recognize the church. And there was an edict of toleration that was written in that year. This is the first sign that government would ever allow this to happen. And so changes were coming in some lights for the better, but also men had begun to write things in addition to the Bible. Here's one in 325 A.D., the Nicene Creed. Rather than taking the Bible alone, for what it said, and letting it be the rules for the house that Christ built, they began to write additional rules and additional expl explanations. You know, the Pharisees did that with the law of Moses. And by the time Christ got on the scene, 
They had written a whole oral law that were all interpretations of the law of Moses that were, many of them were wrong interpretations, and they were enforcing them as God's commandments. That's what happened in the process of history during the time of the church. The universal church came into existence as far as that name being used, as far as a pope being designated to be over the universal church. That's what the word Catholic means. But all of a sudden, we're using words that we don't find in the Bible. Catholic's not in the Bible. Pope's not in the Bible. The office that's indicated by the pope is not in the house that Christ built. So you see, we start slowly moving away from the simplicity of Christ. And the only way I know to describe it is Satan was corrupting the mind of certain men. Remember what we read in 2 Corinthians 11 and 3? Paul was worried about them at that time, and he said, Satan is subtle. He'll come to you like he did to Eve, and he'll corrupt your mind. He will dilute the truth. He will make a slight change to the pattern. So when that one's accepted, another one will be accepted, and another one will be accepted. And Satan is very good at pulling people away from the truth that we find in the Word of God. For about a thousand years, this period recorded in history called the Dark Ages, this church gained more and more and more power. And it's really ironic because at the end of this time, the church had come full circle. Under the Roman Empire, they were being persecuted and put to death. At the end of this 1,500 years, they were the ones going after people and persecuting them if they disagreed with the doctrine that these men had written down, then those people were being persecuted. They were ostracized. Their lives were threatened. In fact, the, the next person that we know in this history was Martin Luther. He was a Catholic priest. He came along in 1517. He was a brilliant individual. He, he could read Greek and Hebrew. And he began to study the simplicity of the recorded word and he said we've got a bunch of these things wrong and so he went and nailed up 95 thesis on the the post of his church in Wittenberg Germany and he said we have got to stop this we're not going the way that the blueprint says that we should go his life came under threat from the power that that was in charge at that time they wanted to shut him down. They wanted to stop his voice. But he continued to work and to proclaim that things were not right in the church according to the record that we have in Scripture. There was a church that followed him. Martin Luther said, Do not name an institution after me. Do not follow me. But anyway, his followers jailed and they formed the Lutheran Church. As we look at this history this morning, I'm mentioning some of the names of these denominations. These are matters of history. You can take an encyclopedia. You can go to Wikipedia on your computer. 
You can look in a history book, and you will find that this is a record of history. I'm not trying to target any individual. I'm not trying to embarrass anyone. I'm not treating any individual with disrespect. But I'm trying to point out to you what happened in history that caused people to move away from the simplicity in the pattern of the house that Christ built. These denominations began. Henry was the king of England, and he didn't want to be under the authority of that main church anymore. So he said, you know what, I'll pull everything off in England, and I'll be the head of the church. And so he established the Church of England. These other denominations are just a matter of history and the years that they were established. More and more as the years went, began to be established. And so you had a lot of different bodies that were pulling away from the main body, and they were saying, we need to reform what the universal church is doing. And so they tried to make changes that would get closer to what the Bible taught. But the problem was they were never getting all the way back to the simple plan. They would make some adjustments and they would stop there. So in the early 1800s, rather than trying to reform the church, there was a group of men that came along and they said, we don't need to reform the church, we need to restore the church. And that's a different idea. Rather than wrestling with all of these changes that had been made over 1,800, last 33 years, they said, let's just take that all out of the way and let's go back to the blueprint. The one that Christ put in the Word perfectly. The one that's simple. The one that we can follow. And they did that. I believe today in 2021 that our objectives should be the very same as what theirs were, was. We can take all of these things out of the way. We can go back to 33 AD. We can plug into the pattern as it has been drawn, the floor plan, the blueprint, whatever you want to call it, and we can replicate it and we can do it today. That's our objective for Northwest Church of Christ. That's our vision. And we try to repeat that so that everyone that's a member here, everyone that visits here knows what we're trying to do. We're trying to go back to this pattern so that we have the true house that Jesus built. The New Testament blueprint remedies the confusion. What if our contractor will said, I don't like the measurement of that wall. I want to move it a little bit this way. And I don't like that wall. I'm going to move it a little bit this way. Then when we got through the, with the building, it wouldn't be the finished product. And we would have had to take him back and say, you need to go change that. It needs to be the way the pattern showed. That's what the restoration movement was or the Reformation movement was trying to do, move things back around. And that's a very hard thing to do. You know, there's a construction project down here on the corner of Highway 70 and I-27. There was an old uncle's filling station there. And here just a few weeks ago, that construction company went in, and you know what they did? 
they tore everything that was there completely down. Before that, another company had come and dug up the fuel tanks that were down in the ground. I mean, they wiped that lot clean. They hauled off truckload after truckload of dirt. And then they started going back and they started following the plan that they had to construct a specific structure that would meet the needs of those who are in control of that corner of, of the interstate. That's what we need to think about when it comes to the church. We need not to go back and shift and adjust. We need to take, take away anything that's not found in God's Word, and we need to go back and we need to replicate the blueprint. Hopefully we can see that analogy and that makes sense to us. We have Old Testament prophecies of the church. I have a few listed here. We're not going to read these. There's over 300 prophecies that talk about this house that Christ built. He fulfilled every single one of those. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, Him coming, Him living a perfect life, Him dying on the cross, He purchased that church and He fulfilled all of those prophecies. Christ is the builder of His house. This was one year before the church came into existence. And Christ said, and Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Is that a plurality of churches, or is that a single church? And who does the church belong to? Does it belong to all of these different men that's made adjustments in the church and changed up the, the house to be something different? Christ followed through with that promise. He said the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He was crucified. He went to Hades. He was there for three Days and then He came back. Those gates did not hold Him. He came back as a resurrected Savior and He established the church and it belongs to Him. We read in Acts 2.47 that they were being added to the church such as they were being saved. That's when the church was established, the early chapters of Acts. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. The congregations were called the churches of Christ. And we said there's one church, the universal church. There were units within that church, congregations in certain localities, and Paul said these are the churches of Christ. It makes perfect sense. These are the churches that belong to Christ. He built the church. He made the plan. He sacrificed. He bought it with His own blood. Why would we want to take that away from Him and label it some other way? He's the head of the church. Ephesians 1, hath put all things under His feet and gave Him to be the head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him that filleth all in all. They were having a problem in Corinth. There were four groups. One said, I'm going to follow Apollos. Another group said, I'm going to follow Cephas. 
Another one said, I'm going to follow Paul. And another one said, I'm going to follow Christ. Anytime we begin to follow men, we're going to have division. And Paul corrected that division. He said, was, were you baptized in my name? Of course they weren't. They needed to all accept Christ as their head and not follow men. And that's what we need to do today. What about these counterfeit churches that have been established? The Bible says, Matthew 15, 13, 14, But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Let them alone, they be blind leaders of the blind, and if blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. God is not pleased with the state of division that we have around us. Christ prayed for unity. He wanted His followers to be unified like He and His Father were unified. And He said, when you do that, you will have a testimony to those in the world. All of this division, God will take care of. He will root up plants that He has not planted. Not only will the leaders of the blind fall into the ditch, but those that allow themselves to be led by a pattern that's not found in God's Word. These principles are true. We're only covering a small portion of the verses that would point this out. We want to finish up our thoughts today and look at the organization of this house that Christ built. We talked about a universal church. Paul addressed the church everywhere. He also addressed the church of God at Corinth. Right there in that one verse, he covers both the universal church and the local church. And we see that to be the case. There was regional areas of the church. Galatians 1-2, "...and all the brethren which are with me under the churches of Galatia." Again, this was the pattern. A universal church with units within that church. Everywhere that Paul went, he established these local churches, and he taught the same thing in every church. They used the same name. They were taught to follow the same pattern. Here's an illustration that shows us how this would work. Jesus is the head of the universal church. These different Local congregations functioning autonomously within that universal church. The evangelists went out and they worked among the universal church to plant congregations and to go back and correct them and to help them. And as I said, the same doctrine was taught in each church. That's what Paul said in his letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, "...as I teach everywhere in every church." What about these local units? What did they look like? The Bible tells us in Philippians 1.1 that the letter to the church at Philippi is being addressed to the saints, the bishops, and the deacons. There were also qualified men that were teachers in these local congregations, and you see the references for that. So here's Philippi. They had elders overseeing and fleeting, feeding, not fleeting, maybe wanting to fleet sometimes, but feeding the church, deacons serving the church, these members teaching. That's the picture that we see in this perfect plan that Christ put together. So can we replicate that today? 
again, I submit that we can do the same thing. We have these different congregations in different towns, even in different countries, different states. If we all open the same book to the same simple pattern, we can be unified in the worship of the church. We can be unified in the message of the gospel of the church. We can be unified in the way that Christ built His house. And that's our goal, to do that very thing. Here's man's arrangements. He says all of these different churches are connected to Christ, and Christ is their head. The problem is, all of these different churches wear different names. They practice these different things that we've talked about. It's a perversion from the pattern that we read about in the Scripture. It was a change. They have a hierarchies that make rules for multiple congregations, huge amounts of congregations in some case. These are things that we don't read about in Scripture. And the question is, are they all practicing the same thing? What about the, the local church out here in the world? have all of these different offices within the church. Some of them are found in the Bible, but they've been renovated to fit a different idea or a different system. Some of them are found in the Bible, but they're being used in ways that the Bible does not use them. Calling a religious leader father or reverend, those words are not used in that way in Scripture. Some things are being done that are not found in Scripture at all. These are the type of things that we're seeing as we look and do a survey of religion. We need to go back to the pattern. We need to follow the pattern in everything that we do. We need to prove all things. We need to hold fast to that which is good. It furnishes us in everything that we need in salvation, as we mentioned. The way of worship is there. The church is the called out from the world. There's no confusion in the New Testament pattern as we've shown. History teaches us what happened when the New Testament pattern was not followed. This church had its beginning on the day of Pentecost. Its builder is Jesus Christ. It is built on nothing but the Word of God. I want to leave the lesson with you this morning. As I stated earlier, if you have questions about this, it's a lot of material. It's a review for most. If you're, you haven't been exposed to this material and you'd like to, to study it deeper, we would certainly be glad to do that with you. We want to offer the invitation of the church. It's an invitation that Christ gave. It's open all the time, but this is a convenient time to invite those who have been taught to obey the gospel, to come and to be baptized, and to contact the blood of Christ and have your sins washed away. It's also a convenient time to help those that might need the prayer of the church. If you're in need of anything the church can do for you this morning, please come forward and be seated here on the front as we stand and sing the song that's been selected.